Hello, my name is Ari Satok. I'm an author and an educator living in New York City, and I've recently embarked on a project to interview 100 fascinating people. The aim is simple. People are full of wisdom, and so my goal in these interviews is to tease that wisdom out and then share it with others, since wisdom can inspire us, open our hearts, change the way we see the world or ourselves. I'm extremely lucky to have amazing people lined up to join me in these 100 conversations, and I'm excited today to be interviewing my dear friend, Natasha. All I will say by way of introduction, Natasha grew up in the city of Karachi in Pakistan. She is a spectacular writer. I cannot overstate that. Mesmerizingly good. She makes magic with words. She's done really meaningful work in the field of education and has been someone who has been a very beloved conversation partner over the last almost 10 years. These conversations began in our college dorm rooms as undergrads and have continued in different cities we've lived in since graduating, over Zoom, over the phone. We've spent many hours reflecting together on what it means to be a young adult, on creativity, on chasing dreams, on trying to be gentle and kind to ourselves as we do. And so I'm really excited for this conversation today. In this interview project, I'm talking to people about the things that matter most to them. And so I want to actually start on the theme of the things we love the most. So Natasha, the very first question I want to ask to open our chat is what are some of the things in this world that you love the most? Well, first of all, I'm so, so honored to be here. I'm so excited you're doing this project and I'm so grateful for our friendship. And so what are the things I love the most? I love you. I love my friends. Like, without a doubt, like, that's what matters to me the most. Right. Um, and there are other things as well. But like, I think people, people I've had the privilege to meet, people I've had the privilege to get to know in all the different places I've lived, all the different kind of work I've done. I think that's what matters the most. That's what that's what keeps me going. Um, people's ideas, people's passions, people's failures, people's sadnesses. Um, but most of all, people's care and love, right? Um, and the fact that there's an infinite number of people out there that you can meet and that you can grow to care about and who can grow to care about you. Um, and that sort of like accumulates over your life. And one day when your life is over, you've had all these people who've known you and have shared memories with you. Um, and sometimes I think about how to document that, how to collect that, but like it's, it's not something you can archive. It's just something that is. And I think it's really, really powerful. I also love books. Um, cannot read enough of them. Cannot collect enough of them. I love water. I love to swim. I love to drink water, as, as most people do. I love to be in it. Uh, I love to consume it. Um, I love cities. I love the way they're laid out. I love the buildings they have in them. I love the interactions they facilitate. I love the way they make you feel when you're in them. I love the way they change over time. What else do I love? I love food. <laughs> I love to cook it. I love to eat it. Um, I love the stories that they're capable of telling. Um, I think that's enough to start <laughs> to get us started. Be beautiful answer. <laughs> and I I like to ask a, a kind of funky question to get at this in, a, in another way, which is as follows. If an alien came down from outer space and you were given one day to show them around this planet uh, 
And in a magical way, you were actually able to teleport from place to place. So you weren't constrained by geography. You could take them anywhere from morning till night. Um, I'm curious, uh, what would you want to to show that alien, to show them a little taste of our planet? They were getting one day on this planet. So I think that's such an incredible, I, I think you've set that question up so incredibly because you've already said the first thing I would say in answering that question, which is that I think it's so important to teleport the alien from one place to another, right? And the two places, or, or I guess the three that are the most significant to me is Karachi, um, London, uh, where I was born and where I've lived off and on over the last 10 years. And then, of course, somewhere on the eastern seaboard, on the North American eastern seaboard, where you know I went to college and where, where I sort of live now. I live in Washington right now. And I think the reason it's so important for me to teleport said alien is because one of the biggest things that I grapple with in my life, as you know, is like the extreme stark difference between different geographies, right? Like the feeling, the smell, the noise, the, the, the sense of being, of conducting yourself, of the way you dress in a city like Karachi is so different from London. Um, and, and so like I, I'd say to the alien, like, these are two completely different realities. They're two completely different cultures. And let's drop ourselves into both. And then let's reflect on what it's like to feel split between two such feelings your entire life. And um, and then I'd be like, is it like this on other planets? Like, is there this much diversity, um, this much culture, these many languages? Um, on other planets, you know? Yeah, it's a fascinating yeah. question. Yeah, I feel like I'd just be very nosy about other planets instead of showing the alien our planet. I and love I think that. It, I think in our planet, like I think if I was to take the alien to say like, let's say for the purposes of, but there's so many cities I love, you know? And I'd want the alien to see all of them. Like, I think that's what's so incredible about like being alive on planet Earth. Like there's a lot of places they're all very different. Yeah, and you you more than most people, you've lived in so many different places. Um, and perhaps you want to share just a little bit. I mean, you already mentioned some, what, where some of those places have been. But I, the question I'm curious about, because you think about this a lot, you write about it sometimes, do different places make you feel like different versions of yourself? Do different places... Absolutely. Absolutely they do. Because, like... You conduct yourself differently in different places. And I think that like for a long time, it's been kind of inevitable that for me, I conduct myself in line with others' expectations of me, right? And I think that when I'm in Karachi, I'm a certain way. When I'm here in DC, I'm a certain way. Um, because my identities are very different in both places. My privileges are very different in both places. It's not just like, I guess, how others expect you to be, but also the confidence with which you conduct yourself in different places, given your familiarity or your access or your privilege in different geographies. And so I've been reflecting a lot lately on like what that means in terms of one's relationship to place, right? Um, the history of your relationship to a place, the socioeconomic background that you have in a place like really informs how you conduct yourself 
in it, which is really interesting to me. Yeah. Um, this this yeah. next this next question I think is going to probably evoke all kinds of memories for you, but I'm I'm curious, without thinking too long about it, when you think first about Karachi, what's just one beautiful memory to tell the story of that that memory that that comes to your mind? Just a beautiful experience that you've had there. Well, there's so many. So let me let me really think. I think for me, like just I'll just talk about what came to mind, right? When I first, so I grew up in Karachi entirely. And then I moved away. I moved to the US for undergrad. Then I moved to England for a few years. Then I moved back to Karachi. The time I moved back to Karachi, I was like 25 years old. I'd spent like five, six pretty formative years of my life in, in sort of the West. And like I moved back to Pakistan. I'd quit my job. I didn't know what I was going to do next. Moved back in with my parents. And I got a puppy, Hugo, um, who my parents have since given away. And, uh, you know, when I was growing up, Karachi was going through a turbulent time and my parents were very overprotective. And so I never really like walked alone outside. And, you know, upon my return, I was determined to conduct myself differently in the city. I was determined to build my own relationship with it. And I have this very clear memory of like taking um, Hugo, then a puppy, for a walk. And we went to the beach, which was five minutes from um, my house. And I remember feeling like I was doing something pretty radical, like just walking to the beach by myself. And like, given that, I think I think about it because it like really embodies for me, like the weirdness of that. Like, you know, for six years, I'd been alone in the world, had found my own way, had like, lived alone, searched for work alone, like built entire communities alone. And now all of a sudden, like I was walking like five minutes by myself and it felt like this incredible thing. Um, and it's, I keep trying to find the best way to describe that, you know, like what that felt like. Um, it was a really beautiful day. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's so interesting, the contrast of those two different kind of worlds. Um, and I, I have a question that just popped into my, my mind right now, which is you and I have spent so much time in very international settings where it sort of becomes commonplace to just meet people from all around the world. And yet I imagine people who will listen to this one day, many of them will have never met someone from Pakistan. Um, and I'm curious if there's something you'd want them to know about Pakistan, someone who's only ever encountered it perhaps in a news headline uh, or on a TV broadcast in some kind of footnote in the TV broadcast? I think, I think I just, one of the things that like really strikes me about Pakistan and about Pakistani communities and other parts of the world is like the warmth and the generosity and, and, and the sense of community right? Like you can walk into any household in Pakistan, I think as a stranger and people will welcome you and look after you. And that sense of welcoming and caring for strangers, um, I think is really, really powerful. And I don't see that necessarily in other geographies. Um, I think Pakistan is an immensely diverse place in terms of languages, in terms of people with different ethnic backgrounds, in terms of life experiences, in terms of viewpoints. Um, and I think, unfortunately, it has a pretty reductive reputation 
I think it's just as diverse a place as any other. Um, I think it has a a stunning range of different landscapes, different cuisines, different music, different literature, different people. Um, and I find all of that like really, really, really exciting. One of the things that I think a lot about and I long for is that like rather than one narrative of this entire country of 200 plus million people on the world stage, there were, there were multiple, right? Like sometimes when I go to a bookstore, um, especially over here, like there'll just be books and books and books by American authors or British authors. And then you go to like, you know, the South Asia section of a bookstore. And there's like, you know, not that many books. And, and so, yeah, like that's, that's what I'd say is that it's as, diverse a place as any other it's just that diversity i think or i felt isn't as fully documented and i wish it was i am certain one day you will be on those bookshelves um <laughs> i hope so and i, I kind of also like i don't know i think lately i felt like the best that i can do and the best that i'm trying to do is just write about my own life not about any of the places in which i've lived which is powerful, right? And important. Um, and I, I, I'll take that opportunity to segue to this topic that we could have hours of conversations about and we have, which is about writing. Um, I mentioned earlier, you're a brilliant writer um, and the two of us have conversations often. What does it feel like to write? What are the challenges? Um, what are the joys? And I wanna, I wanna start with a, a sort of simple question, which is when do you feel like you first um, became passionate about writing? I always remember this moment, which is when my mother, who's also an educator like us, first um, taught me how to read. And um, there was like this like little set of very thin books. It was the Oxford Reading Tree series. And like, I remember she'd, she hid the stack in her cupboard and every evening she'd take out like another book. And then it was almost like, you know, one piece of chocolate at a time, you know, that we'd like unwrap and read together. And like, I guess since that time, like to me, a book was the greatest gift. It was something to wait for, something to savor, something to enjoy, something to look forward to. And I just have always since then been obsessed with reading, been obsessed with stories, been obsessed with books, bookstores, and have been trying to, you know, string words together in my own way and that's changed form many times you know like when I was a teenager I loved writing poetry in college I loved writing fiction you know in my 20s I I really liked writing essays and now I'm at a really interesting place where like you know I've taken a bit of a break from writing as I've tried to figure out other things in my life and now I'm trying to teach myself how again which is like a really beautiful process, you know? Um, I think what I'm trying to do these days is like teach myself how to do something that I really love, but that I kind of feel like I've forgotten how to truly do. Um, and so like what I've been spending a lot of time doing is like I thought a lot about the kind of writers that inspired me or that might inspire me at this stage when I'm in between genres because I think a lot of writers do really powerful things in the 
in the space between prose and poetry, right? In the fragmentary space. And I want to understand better how they do that. And so I read them. I reflect on their work. I try to mimic it. And then I try to think about like, what might it look like for me to write um, in this vein or in what would my vein be? Um, I don't know. And, I, and I'm taking like a lot of time to do that. You know, um, there's no pressure. I can take as long as I want. Um, so that's the formal part of it, right? It's like formally, how do I want to write, right? How might I write now that my relationship with writing has, com- I, I see it as having completely broken. And I see myself as having to raise myself from the ashes again. Um, because I'm in a new place. You know, I'm a, I'm a different person, I think, than I was three years ago. I've lost people I really loved. Um, I really reckoned with myself. Like, an entire pandemic has happened, et cetera, et cetera. You know, like, for all these reasons, I just feel like I'm not the person and therefore not the writer I was three years ago. And so, like, how do I move forward? Like, what do I write now? So that's the formal part of it. It's like, I don't want to write essays anymore. I don't really think I've ever been good at fiction. I don't understand the structure of poetry. Like, these are the things I tell myself in my head, right? So, like, what form will I embody, right? That's the first challenge. Um, The other challenge, which I think is a far more interesting challenge, is, like, what do I write about? Like, what do I think I have the authority to say? And for a long time, over the past few years, while I've been, like, trying to teach myself again, in my head, I always, and, and I say in my head because I think we're often quite hard on ourselves and cruel to ourselves, right? So like, I know if I were talking to you, you wouldn't say any of these things to me, but it's the kind of things I've been telling myself. In my head, I'm like, hmm, like, what can I possibly have to say in a world where so many traumatic, overwhelming things are happening to people? What can I possibly sit here in my like, apartment having to say, you know? Um, and And I think that that is a really wonderful reckoning that I've been having with myself as a person, right? Like, what is it that, what what can I possibly have to say that will matter to other people? And I think part of the pressure I put myself under is like, I should use my voice to uplift things that are happening. I should use my voice to tell stories that matter. And and so I've been denying myself the space to talk about the small pleasures, the small pains of my own life. And, And I think that that denial is a great injustice to myself, right? Um, So, you know, as you might know, Annie Ernaux won the Nobel Prize this week. And a lot of her books are about the small pains and small joys of her own life. And I can't tell you what it meant to me to see a woman who creates literature out of the intimate moments of her life to win the highest prize in all the lands. I think it really was this incredible moment for me where I was like, I can't write about my days. You know, I can't write about my days and it is okay. It doesn't have to be this big thing doesn't have to be this big argument, you know? It doesn't have to be this, you know, big report. Like, it's just, 
you know, I ate um, a strawberry for breakfast. Like, it's okay, you know. Like, life is is simple, ephemeral, beautiful, shocking, painful. Um, and, and, and then maybe that's my work, right? And so that's just what I've been trying to do these past few months. Like, just been trying to give myself permission to not worry that much, like to just enjoy what it is I love. I think for the longest time, and this goes to something you mentioned earlier, we talk a lot about being young adults. I think for so long, like I thought I had to write a certain way. I thought I had to accomplish certain things as a writer. And honestly, what I've been doing these past few years, as I've been reteaching myself how to write, is letting go of all that pressure and just allowing myself to be a human in the world, right? Powerful. Um, there's three things that I feel like I'm seizing on from what you said, and there's so much wisdom in it. The first, which I'm grateful for, is for anyone who's listening to this, whatever your passion might be, whether it's writing, whether it's something else, even if it's something you've been doing for literally decades, to give yourself the permission when sometimes you need to relearn how to do it. Um, I experienced that in my own creative life, and I imagine many people who are listening to this have that experience. Um, the the second is just that simple idea of not feeling like there's any particular place one has to be with their passion or their creativity. We think about it a lot together about um, how how does one create with joy and not get sucked into feeling like, am I creating as much as I should or as well as I should, or am I getting as much attention as I should? And I love that. I feel like your answer gives space for that. And then the last one, is just talking about the way that our creativity can be about the small joys or the small pains, the heartbreaks, the triumphs, the moments we're proud of ourselves, the moments we're angry at ourselves. And you do that masterfully. Um, and I, I think there's something to be said. I know for you and I, as we've been thinking about you know being young writers, and there are all these pressures people put, and yet a beautiful email to somebody, a beautiful Instagram post, a beautiful... Uh, letter that you put in the mail and send that too is the work of writing, right? The writing doesn't have to be this grand book or this big article. It can be, um, and yet it can be this other thing too. Um, and I just want to say that I have gained and benefited so much from all of your beautiful, beautiful writing um, about the small joys and the small pains that come with living. Um, and the best writing, which is what yours does, is it lets other people find themselves in it. Um, it's how I view writing when you can say, oh, I see myself in that or in some way by somebody putting their humanness on the page, I can feel less shame or embarrassment or insecurity or anxiety in my humanness. Um, so I say all that to say, I'm grateful for the way that you have already done that many times over for many people. Um, that's really generous and powerful and nice and affirming. Thank you. It's from the heart. Uh, and I, I want to ask sort of follow-up question to not uh, angle it towards your own writing, but I, I want to ask, you can try to call to mind just one. You talked about the power of reading in your life and how much you love reading. And this may take a moment to think of, but a moment where you read something, someone else's writing, that just unlocked something in you. It just let you feel something you hadn't been allowing yourself to feel or it's let you understand yourself in a way you hadn't been allowing yourself to understand 
just like a eureka moment that has happened in your reading life? Yeah, I mean, that happens all the time, right? It happens all, all, all the time. Um, because I love to read. I'm always, always, always reading. Um, I'm trying to think. So, I mean, I'm I'd not to like make this like, you know, an Annie or no fan club meeting, but when I'm reading a particular author, I get obsessed with them, right? Like when I'm reading someone and I think their work is profound, they are everything to me, which I think is one of the most beautiful things about being a reader, right? Like it's, it, to me, like another person creates this experience for me and through their words, like this moment in time that they're representing or this story or these characters that they've created or whatever it is, just take over you, you know, and, and, and make you feel like invincible. Um, so, <laughs> you know, not to be melodramatic, but like, so right now I'm reading Annie Erno's uh, Getting Lost. Where is it? Somewhere here. Somewhere here. Um, and those are, so those are her diaries from 1988 um, when she was having an affair with a Soviet diplomat in Paris. And then in 1992, four years later, she published a novel called A, Sim a Simple Passion or just Simple Passion without the uh. And And so before she won the Nobel, because I, I didn't like see that she won the Nobel and ran and read her books. I was thinking about her before. <laughs> but, um, you know, I was just like, oh, this is really fascinating. The you know, her diaries, are, her diaries are published later, right? Uh, after the novel. So I was like, okay, this would be really interesting. And I actually sat and I thought about it. Should I read the novel first or read the diaries first? I thought I'd read the diaries first. I'm reading the diaries now and then I'm going to read the novel. And, you know, one of the things that she's very well known for is like how to excavate your own memories, right? And create art out of it. Um, how, how to think through recreating moments in your life, how to navigate with what you remember and what you trust. And so on and so forth. And so all of which is to say, like, reading her diaries is just incredible to me. Because the most consistent writing I've done over the past however many years of my life is my own diary, you know? And, like, I use my diary to vent. But to see somebody else create high literature out of their diaries... Or to read their diary and know that that became a novel later has done the most incredible thing for me, which is that it's reminded me or taught me or shown me that the act of just recording what happens is all you need to do to begin, right? Um, and that nothing that you experience is insignificant. Um, so that's really cool. And then another writer that's like really, really moved me recently is Linda Gregg. Um, I've been reading a lot of her poems and her poems, like there's a lot of her poems are about heartbreak and being sort of a woman alone in the world. And they're so confident and liberating and true. and um, They've just really, I think both these writers in this era of my life, in this season of this era of my life, have made me feel like I'm not alone, which is, I think, the best thing that a writer can do for you. 
And I think also like one of the nice things about just how many books there are in the world is that there are so many people who have experiences that are similar to yours and also completely different from yours. But that will make you feel less alone. Um, I'm going off on a tangent now, but sometimes I just want to like open a bookshop and have people come in and be like, this is what I'm going through. And be like, Tessa, I know what you can read. I know how you can feel better because I think that's what books do. They make you feel better. Yeah, it makes Um, me think of uh, this initiative, the Poetry Pharmacy, which was that idea that at first if someone would prescribe poems to people in need and then there is a book um, that I cannot remember if it's called The Poetry Pharmacy or what it is called, but it's that. It's here's a poem for hopeless moments. Here's a poem for moments of illness. Here's a poem for moments of loss. It's really nuanced, the like specific emotional states that these poems are meant for. Um, But even more personally, if you think of it like a therapist whose goal only is to prescribe you the right art, that they're not Mm. separate than a therapist who gives you the medication that you need when you need it, or who puts you on the right, you know, behavioral therapy if you need it or whatever it is, who's just like, go to this museum and see these paintings this weekend or read this book. And their expertise is just knowing like, what are the right pieces of art that can tug at different people's heartstrings when they need it? Um, I love that. Uh, and maybe one day we will start that, that store together. <laughs> if, yes. if, I, if I can push my way into this idea. Um, but I, I love it. And I love the thought of, of the right book for whatever someone is going through or struggling with. And, that sometimes is the task of friendship, right? To give your friend the book they need or the poem they need. Um, and yet it's beautiful to, to think of it in a kind of bigger way as this, as this tool. Um, and I love what you talked about too, that the power of books and other forms of art as just a, a force that can combat aloneness. Uh, I'm thinking also, I feel like one time you made a post that had this quote that's beautiful, although I've never been able to tra- uh, trace who actually said the quote. The quote was, there are enough lonely people in this world to cure loneliness. Um, it's great, isn't it? And like, you know, one of the things that just like popped into my mind while you were talking, not to cut you off, is like, but when you read, you are alone. That's the most incredible thing about it. Like it makes you feel less alone, but it's something you do alone. I love that about it, you know? And like, I'm quite an extrovert, as I'm sure you know. And yet, like being a reader allows me to really enjoy solitude. Like I could spend days alone and I wouldn't run out of books to keep myself entertained, which is like amazing. I, I also just love the idea of thinking of reading as just like meeting these wise and different people for a little conversation. And they're available for it at any moment. And your side of the conversation is the reflection or whatever you think about as you read. And their side of the conversation is the book that they've written or published um yeah and so it is this powerful meeting um with sometimes less of the complexities that maybe can come when you're interacting with a friend (laughs) though as you're speaking like something that pops into my mind that i've been very conscious of over the past few years is like yes books help us and yes books make us feel less alone and yes books teach us about different people and perspectives but also who Whose books are we reading? Who recommends them to us? And whose voices are we not hearing? Is one of the most critical questions, I think, that we should be asking ourselves on a macro level as readers. Because books that win awards, books that are reviewed, 
books that find their way into bookstores and, and honestly and ultimately books that are published, books that are translated. There's a lot of power there, right? And there are a lot of people whose experiences are not represented or especially if they are represented, not authentically represented in fiction, in poetry, in um, journalism, in essays. And I think that, you know, I mean, even the two writers that I mentioned to you that have been really inspiring to me lately are both Western white women. It's very important to acknowledge that, right? Like, who do we find inspiring? Who, who makes us feel less alone? It's people who have historically had big platforms in this world, who have historically had access in this world. And um, I just think it's very important to call that out. Like while we sit here and laud writers that we love and think about books that make us feel less alone, it's also very, very important to remember that the system of literature, like all other systems that govern our lives in all sorts of places, are, are not equitable systems. I agree. Um, and I'm just bookmarking in my head that when we <laughs> put when we put this interview out, it would be great if we can include some book recommendations from you yes. um, that you would suggest people read. Um, I wanted I wanted to jump onto something that you mentioned a second ago. You talked a phrase about seasons of our lives um, and that mm. our our lives have different seasons. I always find that to be powerful language. Um, and I, I wanted to to start with just the simple question of of what does that mean to you, and and maybe how have you learned to reflect on that differently as um, as years have passed about seasons of our life. Yeah, I mean, I think seasons like one of the most powerful things I can say. So seasons to me are like things ebb and flow. Most of all, our own minds, right? Like, um, there'll be seasons when I feel confident in myself and my abilities. There'll be seasons where I don't. There'll be seasons where I feel like I'm in the right place. Seasons where I'm itchy for something new. There'll be seasons where things are going okay, you know, and I take a good trip, make a new friend. I'm calm. Seasons where I lose someone I really love or I get really sick or I hurt myself. Um, seasons where I'm anxious, seasons where I'm frustrated, seasons where I feel like I'm failing at the things I want to do, seasons where I feel triumphant, seasons where seasons where I feel joyful. Seasons don't have to last months or weeks. Sometimes they last days. Sometimes they last less than that, right? Like start a day off feeling great and then by the evening you're like, why? Um, sometimes, you know, morning really sucks. By the evening you're feeling great. I think the important thing to remember about seasons, and I always try to remind myself of this when I'm in a, in a, in a like down downside of a wave, um, in a trough of a wave, um, is that like winter, for the sake of the metaphor, also has its beauty, right? And no matter what you are feeling, grief, sadness, despair. Um, like there is beauty in the world. There is beauty in other people. And even when it's really hard to see, you have to fight to see it. 
Um, and that's why I think I love people so much. Because even when people are complicated, even when people are frustrating, even when people infuriate you, sometimes that's the most beautiful thing about the human condition, right? Like those, those moments of profound complexity. And I think fancying myself a writer allows me to really enjoy life because the greatest books are built on those moments of conflict, right? Um, and I think, anyway, that's something I just train myself to. I, I am constantly training myself to remember that my job as a human being is to observe and learn from and celebrate and savor everything, the good and the bad. Powerful. Uh, I think I'm going to do something I wasn't expecting to do, which is I think I may pause us right here. Um, I have more questions and I, I could imagine us doing another interview, but I think it's such a perfect thought to end on. Um, and I want to end by saying yet again, thank you, thank you, thank you for for joining me for this interview. It, for me, has been so inspiring um, and mind-opening. Uh, and I'm I'm grateful for the conversations we have, not when they're being recorded. And I'm just as grateful <laughs> for this spectacular one. So... Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm so grateful. Thank you for having me.